Well, we're in Luke chapter 4. Jesus, at the very start of his uh, public ministry, he's been tempted by the devil in the wilderness. He has already spent some time in Capernaum, and now he comes to Nazareth, his own hometown. And uh, it's the Lord's Day, and as his custom is, he's in the synagogue. I'm sure it wouldn't have been a perfect uh, service, but he's pleased to be there. And uh, this is by no means a perfect service. We aim for perfection. There are different, perhaps, uh, preferences of uh, dress and uh, music and uh, forms. But we've gathered here because we generally accept this is something we are comfortable with. But uh, it's not going to be perfect. There is a perfect church. It's in heaven. And one day, by the grace of God, uh, I'm going to, to be there. But I, I know this from the book of Revelation, that Jesus is pleased to be here. He was pleased to be amongst the seven churches in Revelation, even though he had somewhat to say to a number of them that things weren't quite as they ought to be. Yet he was walking amongst the seven golden lampstands. And that's what we want to encounter here today, the risen reigning Lord Jesus Christ. As I stand here preaching, I'm just taking the Word of God, the, the Bible here. The most wonderful thing I was able to do is, is read the Bible because they are the very words of God in an English translation. What I'm going to seek to do now is bring some uh, flesh to it and uh, bring an application to us here together together this morning but he comes to Nazareth his hometown where he will be well known by many and we looked at this last time I was in Luke's gospel uh, the reading that he gave and something of the initial response the claim is wonderful he finds the passage in Isaiah uh, where he reads this verse 18 so he stands and he he reads the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now that's happening here this morning. It's happening in every gospel church. The gospel is being declared. Now gospel means good news. My friend, do you, do you, do you want good news? The good news of the Bible is good news for everybody. It's not good news for some and bad news for others. For a while yesterday, there was good news from my hometown of Burnley. For 86 minutes, they were leading. They were looking to get their first home point in the Premier League. And they were playing West Ham and, and nothing of a team, uh, really. And for 86 minutes, I was rejoicing and West Ham fans were in despair. But then the worm turned and two last-minute goals by West Ham sunk me down to despair. But West Ham fans were in raptures. And that's the way with good news in the world. One man's good news is somebody else's bad news. But the gospel, it's good news for everybody. doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what age you might be, this is good news for you. Because your biggest problem can be solved. And I've got all sorts of problems. I mean, the sewage treatment plant I spent a fortune on just over a year ago, packed up yesterday, and there's all. But that's not my biggest problem. And whatever your problems might be, the one dominating problem 
is our sin before a holy God, which will have an eternal consequence of sinking us down to a place we were never made for. It was made for the devil and his angels. And the only, how can I get rid of my sin? Not by religion, not by morality. If I could live a perfect life from here on, which I cannot, I've got my bad record dragging behind me, which would sink me to that eternal depth of despair. But here's the good news. There is a way for us to rise to heaven. It's not by what we have done, because we'd always be full of doubts then. It's by what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has done for us. And the triune God is involved in this, one being three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to take away our sin. To get to heaven, I need a clean life, and I haven't got one, so Jesus... God who's become man lives it for me. And then my sin deserves the wrath of God. Well, that doesn't sound like a very loving God. Well, my friends, see it this way. That I might not suffer that wrath. That wrath was poured out on the eternal Son of God 2,000 years ago. And uh, He paid the penalty for my sin. And for the sins of all who will simply repent and believe. That's what I need to do. Repent of what I am and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And my sin is forgiven, peace with God, certainty of heaven to come. My friends, this is good news. And Jesus said those 2,000 years ago, God's Spirit is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Sin brings heartbreak. And the only way it can be healed is through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. To proclaim liberty, to the captives, we are fast bound by sin. We sin because we can't do anything else. We have a bias. It's to go our own way. And it brings brokenheartedness. Well, there can be liberty to the captives. And recovery of sight to the blind. People are in utter confusion. Why am I here? Who I am? Who am I? Is there a God? How can I know God? Which is the right God? Which is the way to, to heaven? And it's Jesus Christ who brings illumination and light. I am the way. He stands and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That was the message in the synagogue on that Sabbath. It's the message in every gospel church down throughout the rolling centuries ever since and will be until the last of God's people, trusts in Him. Are you holding up the second coming of Jesus Christ here this morning? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the last believer has believed, the trumpet sounds, and He comes. And He comes. And the eternal light, and the eternal liberty, and the eternal release, and the eternal joy. Oh, what a glory that will be. Will you be there on that glorious day? How can you be there? Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of what you are and what you've done and believe only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not religion, not morality. Jesus Christ does helpless sinners good. He brings release from captivity, sight to the blind, healing to the broken-hearted. What a glorious message. That was what he preached on that, that particular Sabbath morning. But then what a claim he made. Verse 20, 
Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. No sleepers on that particular Sabbath morning. And he began to say to them, here's the start of his sermon. Now what a claim this is. All the pent-up expectation, all the prophecies of the Old Testament culminate here in Isaiah chapter 61. Uh, what, what would happen uh, when the Messiah comes, the, the preaching and the effect it's going to have. And Jesus, this local young man, says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Not only does he give the message he also says, I am that promised messenger. I am the promised saviour. I am the promised Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the long-expected one. I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. I am the Prince of Peace. I am the Lord of Glory. And he sat down. Really, we covered most of that last time. Let's make some progress. The response to the message that Jesus gave that morning. Verse 22. So all, that's everybody in the synagogue, bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? Now, to have had somebody stand up, utter that message from Isaiah, and then claim that he himself in their presence was that promised Messiah, for the people to respond in this way, what wonderful words he has spoken. Such a response, my friends, is superficial. As Wynne was preaching here last Sunday morning, he used the word a nominal response, a, a surface response, a dignified religious response to an astonishing claim from somebody who they knew. For such a claim, a nice response to Jesus, my friends, is never, never, ever enough. Every time Jesus Christ speaks, whether we're believers or not, what it ought to generate in my heart and yours is repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But here we've got a faithless response from the people. Here it is, the end of verse 22. That's amazing things he's saying, but isn't this Joseph's son? He's a young man. He's aged around about 30. I'm looking around here now. Anybody who might be around that sort of age. They, they knew him well. He, he's the carpenter's son. We, we knew Joseph. We know his mother. We know his brothers and sisters. In fact, when we go home for our Sunday lunch, it's his father, Joseph, that made our dining room table. We, we know him. Who, who is he? If you're making such amazing claims, then give us a sign. Verse 23. So Jesus then continues. He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. 
And whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your own country. What we've heard you've done down the road in Capernaum, and he'd be doing a lot in Capernaum. Now he's come to Nazareth. Ahead of him coming to Nazareth, news has reached the people in Nazareth as to what Jesus had been doing. And he'd been doing amazing things. And what they're saying in the synagogue in Nazareth this morning is simply this. If you're going to make such a claim, we need a sign. We need evidence. Words are easy. But prove it like you've done in Capernaum. Uh, And what had been going on down in Capernaum? Well, uh, Mark tells us, Luke's going to tell us in the following verses what had been going on down in Capernaum, but Mark puts it in order. There was a demon-possessed man in the synagogue. And the demon cries out, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus simply said, be quiet and come out of him. And the demon shrieked and came out of him. The people were amazed. We've never seen anything like this. Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a fever. They tell Jesus, he goes, uh, he raises the mother-in-law to her feet and immediately the fever left her and she began to wait on them. That night, news spread around Capernaum and many came to the home where Jesus was and he healed them of various diseases and sicknesses and cast out many demons. There was a paralyzed man in Capernaum who was brought to uh, Jesus by his four friends. They couldn't get to him because of the crowd. So a hole is made in the flat roof and he's lowered down. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. How dare he? What authority has he got to forgive sins? That you may know the Son of Man has got power and authority to forgive sins. I tell you, take up your mat and walk. He got up, took his mat and he walked. And the people were amazed again. We've never seen anything like this. Well, if you're making this claim, do here in Nazareth what you've done in Capernaum. You're a lovely young man, but what an outrageous claim you are making. Now, I wonder about you here uh, this morning. Who would you say that Jesus Christ is? Many are prepared to say, 2,000 years later, they accept the moral teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Sermon on the Mount, turn the other cheek, uh, go the extra mile. I mean, people often don't know when they're using biblical phrases, going the extra mile is from the Bible. Turn the other cheek, it's from uh, the Bible. Oh, I'll take him as a great moral teacher, but I certainly don't see him as being very God of very God. C.S. Lewis had uh, something wonderful to say about this. Let me just read a quote from C.S. Lewis, the the famous trilemma about the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. 
Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being simply a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to do so. Lord, liar, or lunatic. That trilemma posed by C.S. Lewis. Give us a sign. Show us proof. In these people, in Nazareth, that particular Sabbath morning, there is no real faith in his claim, and there's certainly no repentance. And so we come to the heart of uh, the sermon of Jesus Christ this morning, that particular morning. After a little pause, he continues with what we have here as verse 24. And it's a fiery sermon, and it produces the first recorded account of what we might call church rage. The people turn from a great general approval of him to a situation where they manhandle him out of the synagogue, push him up on a hillside, and they would have thrown him over a cliff and done away with him. They are outraged at the things that he says. So here it is, verse 24. First of all, familiarity breeds contempt. Surely, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. You know me. I know you. I know that you know me. You know that I know you. You are familiar with me. Yes, I am Joseph's son, as you imagine. I acknowledge that. You are familiar with me. But that familiarity has bred contempt. No prophet is accepted in his own country, in his own hometown. Familiarity breeds contempt. So I begin to think about us here this morning. Our response to Jesus Christ ought always to be fresh, real. There ought to be a rejoicing in our hearts because the gospel is true. It really is true. God so loved, and I can put my own name there. You can put your name there. And if I've been the only one, the only sinner, God so loved me, God so loved you, the triune God in all splendor from all eternity sets his affection on you and me. So much so that to deal with my sin, his only begotten son becomes one of us. And so I'm familiar with, I've been a Christian now 47 years by the grace of God. I was 19 when I was wonderfully and suddenly converted while on a holiday in Brisbane in Australia. I can say at the time that initial joy, what a thrill, what a, what a wonder, what a pinching of, of myself. Oh, I wanted to tell the whole uh, world. Um, I was speaking to my grandparents about him. I'd been witnessed to by my cousins. I was telling friends I'd made in Brisbane all that had happened to me. Uh, I couldn't wait to get home and tell my parents and my friends in Cardiff uh, University and the zeal uh, to, to witness and to testify. Uh, what's happened? 
You remember such times? Has it grown dim? Yeah, I, I, I wonder why this wonderful gospel message, the Bible, true from cover to cover, God's Word. I say the most wonderful thing I've done in this particular service, the only thing that uh, really has great merit. I, I know, you see, in the Old Testament times, uh, and certainly in some traditions today, uh, when the Bible is read, the people stand up. Why? Well, out of utter respect. This is the pure Word of God. Now, what I'm saying now is subject to human error can, can creep in and you ought to be noble Bereans and go home and check that what I'm saying is according to the Scriptures, but I can make a little mistakes and errors here and there, a, a misapplication of something. But when the Bible is read, and so this is God's Word to me, this is no mis mistake, but cover to cover, the things that God wants me uh, to know. How to come to faith and how to live as a believer. It's all here written in His Word. And how I ought to love it and cherish it and look forward to those times each day. Take a cup of coffee, sit down and read from His Word. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. Am I too familiar uh, with it? As the folks in Nazareth were too familiar uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Did that familiarity for them? Well, it did breed contempt. Does it, does it for me? Do I really still treasure my quiet times? Do I love to come to church? How, how have I come this morning? I met somebody in the porch who graciously and kindly said, oh, we're looking forward to the service this morning. And I said, it's true, there's a sense in which this is true. I'm looking forward to 9 o'clock this evening when I've done the morning service, the evening service and the after meeting. I go home and I can... How have you come this morning? <laughs> There's something very precious about the gathered church because Jesus Christ is present in a very special way. Oh, why should I go to church? I can meet with God at home. Yes, you can, my friend, but there's something very special promised about the gathering of his people. And have I come with an open heart? Have, have I prayed, Lord, would you speak to me? Am I on the edge of my seat? Is my soul hanging on to every word? Because I need a word from him that in this weary world I might be refreshed uh, again. But has familiarity with the building as it bred contempt? Remember coming back for the first time in many years when Wynn was unwell. It's almost two years ago now. It was the 5th of December, 2021. I'd been on my three-month break. I came back. Didn't know what I was going to do for the rest of my ministry. I came and preached here because Wynn wasn't well. As I walked in, I felt at home. It's just lovely walking in. And uh, the Lord did something and uh, moved, and uh, I'm here now for two years, and who knows, maybe a little longer uh, as, as, as well. But have we got too familiar with the place? Do we still love it? And not for the building, but just for the people meeting together. Oh, the gospel, the gospel, are we too familiar with it? All that thrills my soul is Jesus in the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. And, 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 and for it to be so tomorrow morning as well, when someone's rubbing up the wrong way, remember the gospel? Remember the gospel? 
What can I do without the Gospel? What can I do without the Lord Jesus Christ? Always remembering that undeserved, unmerited favour and grace and love towards me. How can I snap at somebody? How can I demand my own way? Oh, but familiarity breeds contempt. Remember singing here, coming to the Heath after spending a couple of years in a Pentecostal church um, and getting to know some of these lovely old hymns. Here's one by Bernard of Clairvaux. Right, he lived 1091 to 1153. It's quite a while ago then. Who was, al- who was alive then? Nobody. All sacred heads saw wounded. It's one I've chosen for the after meeting tonight because it does mean a lot to me. Thinking about the passion of Jesus, his death on the cross. Thy grief and bitter passion were all for sinners' gain. Mine, mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. Lo, here I fall, my Saviour, it is I deserve thy place. Look on me with thy favour, vouchsafe to me thy grace. And this, this stanza is remarkable, it's always stuck with me. What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend? You know, human languages, it seems, aren't, aren't enough. For this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end. And then this prayer. Oh, make me thine forever. And should I fainting be, Lord, let me never, never outlive my love to thee. That's a challenging little verse because really it's saying this. Lord, if you notice I'm going to waver and drift from you, I'd rather you took me to glory. I don't want to dishonor you here on this planet. But familiarity can breed contempt. And those who should have known better there in Nazareth didn't. And so they were rapidly passed over. Just as in the history of Israel, he now gives them a history lesson, and it really, this is what brings the church rage. He goes back to the time of Elijah. Oh, there were many widows in the time of Elijah when God sent the drought for three years and for six months and there was no bread in Israel. There were many widows, but Elijah wasn't sent to any of those, but he was sent to a widow in Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a Sidonian. Now the Sidonians, even the very name sends shudders through you, a Sidonian. Jezebel came from Sidon, who was active in the days of Elijah. They worshipped the goddess Astarte. But Elijah was sent to a widow in Zarephath in Sidon. Oh, says the Lord, uh, go, go, go to Sidon, go to Zarephath, you'll find a widow there. And lo and behold, as uh, Elijah approaches Zarephath, there's a widow. And uh, she's gathering sticks. Oh, says Elijah, could you get me a drink? Well, she does. She totters off. Can you see her? She's got a little bundle with her. It's dusty. There's been no rain for three years. Oh, while, while you're at it, could you bring me a morsel of bread? Well, that's too much for her. 
bread. Bread. Tell you what I'm about to do with these sticks. Are these few sticks here? I'm going home. I've got a little bit of flour left in a jar and a little bit of oil. I'm going to knead them together. I'm going to light a fire. I'm going to break, bake a little bun. And me and my son will eat it. Then we'll curl up and die. Oh, but before, before, before you do that, says Elijah, can I have a piece of that bread first? Give, give a piece to me. Well, I know what I'd have said to him. Are we too pious here this morning? I don't know what you'd have said to him. But we know how we respond to people's needs today in the world. We're not entirely sympathetic. And here's someone from Israel asking for my... taking food out of my son's... But anyway... She's willing. Elijah, of course, adds, you know, if you do this, then the... The jar of flour will never run out, nor will the, the cruise of oil. And God will, will keep us. And so she goes and she does it. And she gives them to Elijah, and the flour never ran out while the drought was there, and the oil never ran out. See, there's faith in action. The, the widow in Zarephath, Sidon, Jezebel country. Faith. Faith leads to action. Then he goes on to another story. And there were plenty of lepers in Elisha's day in Israel, but none of them was healed, uh, just Naaman the, the Syrian. Now, it took Naaman the Syrian a little while to get round to it, but he, got, he did get round to it. And, you know, coming to faith is a bit like that. Some, it's pretty quick. I mean, me in Australia, one, bam, thank you. I was, I was there. Hit between the eyes in a church service, going into the service, Totally opposed, but God speaking right there in the service. Now, maybe others, it's quite a journey. Uh, going wash in the Jordan 7. Jordan? There are better rivers back, back home in Syria. I, I wouldn't wash in that one. Oh, says he, said, why, why don't you? It's a simple thing you're really asked to, done, to do. And so he washes and he's clean. And what a transformation. And he goes back then, uh, completely cleansed to to Syria. And here's the gospel to you. When it comes, is it finding faith? When I preach about the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who came from the realms of glory, proclaimed and welcomed Him by angels and shepherds and wise men coming from the east. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. And He's come to do you good. Do you believe you have a need? Because if you don't see a need, you won't see the need for a saviour. You're a sinner, my friend, in desperate need of a saviour. And the only saviour is Jesus Christ. Why is he the only way? He's the only one who's dealt with your problem. He lived, he died, he rose again. He died on behalf of sinners. He lived the life you couldn't live. He died the death. Surely you don't want to die, my friend. He opened wide the gates of heaven and he's beckoning you in right now. But if you don't believe it, we're not talking about a morsel of bread here or being healed from leprosy. We're talking about being freed from sin. Would you be freed from your burden of sin? Now, if you don't accept it, you will eventually become enraged by it. Or at best, you'll degenerate into a religious bigot who'll think you're better than others. Full of your own opinions about matters but never seeking the mind of Christ. 
Well, the people hear. Their response begins in a nice way. In a nice way. But eventually degenerates to anger. A nice response to the gospel is never, ever acceptable. The gospel demands a continual response. Repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you can think back to a day or a time when it happened for the first time and you were saved. For me, August 1976, Brisbane, Australia, in a converted warehouse, hearing the gospel. Some it's a period of time, you can't quite put your finger on it, but once you do know, is once I was blind, now I see. And in that service, repentance, tears, faith. Glory, the wonder of it all. Our friends, we repent and we believe once for salvation, but repentance and faith continue every moment of every day of my life while he gives me breath, because I'm only a sinner saved by grace. And I need to repent afresh this morning of what I am, what I've done, what I thought, and put my whole trust continually in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a violent response now from the people. A violent response. Church, rage, here it is. Come to a conclusion this morning. Verse 28. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up to a man and thrust him out of the city and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built. And here's their intention, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Now here's the thing, you see. Why didn't they throw him over the cliff? They wanted to throw him over the cliff. There were enough of them to throw him over the cliff. He really is only one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. really is a man. And lots of folks there from the synagogue, young and old, enraged they want to do away with him remember the end of the time of temptation in the desert and the devil then left him for a more opportune time here's one here's one the devil can see things are not going well all that's happened in Capernaum and one of his cohorts being cast out of that demon in the, that demon possessed man in the, we, we must do away with him quickly Let's get him over the cliff. But this isn't the place. This isn't the time. And it won't happen in this way by being thrown over a cliff by a few folks. And then there's that lovely psalm that the devil quoted to Jesus. Oh, throw yourself down from this pinnacle and, uh, for he will send his angels to guard you in all their way. Well, no, you will not tempt the Lord your God. Won't be for a display, but here, driven out by an angry mob, church rage. Brought to the pinnacle of a great precipice. I'd like to ask questions about the text. I want to know more. How did this happen? He just walked through the midst of them. God stepping in. Angels away. This wasn't the time or the place or the way. 
It's a little picture of what's going to happen three years further on, when an angry mob will take him and he'll lay down his life willingly, but it'll be the right place, the right time, the right situation, on a cross outside Jerusalem. So the Jews and the Gentiles involve the whole world. And there a great spectacle will be made as he hangs there publicly in our place, taking the condemnation we deserve. All our sin poured upon him and his dying agony that we might be set free from sin and the horror of hell. And he died in the right place at the right time. Now he wouldn't be here. He just walked through the midst. My friends this morning, he is Lord, he's no liar, he's no lunatic, and he will be your saviour or your judge. Now you choose. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of what you are and trust in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for this all too brief time in your words. The time passes by so quickly and lunch is going to follow and an afternoon of activities and an evening service and another day has gone and the Lord's day comes and goes and swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. While you give us breath, may we be sure we've trusted in, in Christ and may we as your people continually be looking to him our only hope. Amen. Well, we're going to finish with, what did I choose? All oh, right, yes, it's a hymn that's looking towards the, the judgment and asking that we will be led to the Lord Jesus Christ before that great and glorious day of the second advent arrives. 286 in the hymn books.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and always. Amen.